Know anybody like that? Know anybody that's got something that they're hiding? An addiction that they just can't get past? An addiction that they hide from everyone else, or at least they think they do? You know anyone like that? Hi, everybody. My name's Steve, and you're probably wondering about that, what that is. That is an addiction. I know it's a little weird to have that on stage with me, but the truth is I kind of carry that wherever I go. I I know you've probably seen me before and you've never noticed that, but that's always with me. And most people don't know about that. I don't really talk about that a lot. In fact, if you ask me about that, just like the character we just saw, I'll deny that it's even mine. But in some ways, if I'm not careful, that can define me. That distracts me. That steals time away from my family and friends. That holds me hostage. Now, I don't know what what that is for you. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. Uh, Depending on who you ask, as many as 20 million people in America struggle with an addiction to that that. Maybe for you it's, it's lust or pornography. At some time in their lives, statistics say one in every two men struggle with pornography. They have a problem with that. For you, that might be out-of-control spending or eating or even just a hobby that you have that you've let, and take, let take control of you. That may be anything that controls your life, that lords over you, that keeps you from enjoying a full and abundant life. And worst of all, that holds us back from experiencing God. When we talk about addictions, it, the first thing that I think it's important to understand is is where do they come from? Why do we even have to deal with that? And I want to say two things before I start going into this. One is that I I know that there are people, uh, probably even in this room, that are counselors that have a lot more knowledge and experience about the nuts and bolts of dealing with addictions than I have. Um, And uh, if, if this topic strikes a chord with you, we can get you help. We can hook you up with people who can deal, really dig deep and deal with the nuts and bolts. The second thing is, I know that there are people in this room who are in recovery right now. I know that there are many of you, or a few of you at least, who have gone through 12-step programs, and some were wildly successful, and some not so much. And part of what I say today may contradict what you've heard if you went through one of those programs, or what you've heard from what you know about those programs. And that's not meant to say at all that those programs don't work for some people. They absolutely do, and there are examples right here in this room. But if we look to the Bible for solutions to that, we first have to understand what the Bible says about that. Now, our first tendency, no matter what it is, when we get caught in an addiction, our first tendency with any sin is to find some place to put the blame. I did that. I struggle with that because my parents did. Or my high school friends introduced me to that. Or when I met my wife, she was doing that, so I just got caught up in it too. Or my husband, or or worst of all, that is just the way God wired me. You know, even if you look in the Garden of Eden, the original sin, when God comes down and and Adam is taking a bite out of the fruit from the tree, God said, Adam, why did you eat of the fruit of the tree? And he said, that woman you made me. Then he asked Eve, why did you eat of the fruit of the tree? And she said, the devil made me do it. It's always easier to blame someone else for our shortcomings. And that often has so much power in our lives that if we can find someone else to take responsibility for that, 
we can at least feel better about us, right? Well, I want to look and see what, what the Bible says about sin and addiction. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn into Romans chapter 6, verse 12. That's where we're going to start. Romans 6:12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Now, this verse can also be translated as, do not let sin reign in your body, which is subject to death. And if you look at what addiction is in its most basic form, addiction is letting sin reign in our body. Sin takes control. We become subservient to sin. But Paul here is suggesting that we not only have the power within us to defeat that, to control these sinful desires, But we have the responsibility in some way. We have the responsibility to control them. He's saying that somehow and by God's grace, we have the tools inside us to master that, to conquer that. But we need to be diligent. And if we look why, we'll look at another verse. And I'm going to compare these two. Genesis 4, chapter 7. You can just put your finger there in Romans for a minute. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, Genesis 4, 7, this is God speaking directly to Cain. Cain was a son of Adam, and God is speaking directly to him, and he says, you will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. You, I, we, must subdue Sin, we must be its master. And so if we take these two verses together from Romans and Genesis, what we get is a theme. We get a theme that spans Old Testament and New. Uh, It goes from Moses to Paul, and it says, Don't let sin control you, subdue it, and become its master. But chances are, just like our character in the drama, you've tried that. If that really bothers you, you've probably tried to get rid of it on your own. And yet, you still struggle with that. You still carry that with you wherever you go. So what you need is a plan. You need a biblical plan to get rid of that in your life. And we're going to take a look at at three steps, three things, and these aren't cure-all, but I think these are the three things we need to go, the three ways we need to go down this path to help defeat addictions. Step number one is turn to God. Duh. Right? I mean, this is probably obvious. You come to church, you wouldn't expect to hear anything different from this. But I, I, I want to, I will give you the scripture and then I'll explain what I mean, okay? Or go back to, uh, if you still got your finger in your Bible, go back to Romans 6. Uh, verse 12 says, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. But 13 says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, okay, wait, instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So Paul says, you know, don't let sin control your life. Instead, turn to God. Okay, and I think this idea of turning to God, when I use this, I'm talking about, you know, spiritually, yes, we're going to turn to God. We're going to look to God for answers. But I'm talking more about a directional issue of turning to God. Andy Stanley, who's one of my favorite pastors and and authors, says that, that your direction, not your intention, determines your destination in life. In in other words, where you end up, it's not determined by what you wish for. It's not even what you pray for. But what determines where you end up in life is the path you're on. 
I want to give you an example of this. Um, I uh, use a lot of nervous energy speaking up here uh, during the week. And, and so a lot of times on Sunday, I just after I'm done here, I just like to relax and, and crash. And we'll go, I'll go with my family and have lunch. But, you know, we've got a new pastor coming in, and uh, he's going to be here in a couple weeks. And, and this is the last time I'm going to share with you guys in two or three months. And so um, this today, I really want to celebrate. When I'm done up here, um, I want to go to lunch, and I, want to, I just want to have a party. And so just, just say, pretend, pretend, I'm inviting all of you to go with me to lunch. Right after this service, we're going to go to lunch. And uh, anybody who wants to come is invited, and we're going we're gonna to go to downtown Indianapolis to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And uh, anybody who wants to come along, I'm going to buy a 10-ounce filet for anybody who wants to come. All right? So let's just say, so we're going to go downtown, we're going to go to Ruth Chris, and let's just say I get out in the parking lot, and, and two-thirds of you decide to come. And so there's about 100 cars um, in a line and a caravan getting ready to come. And so I, I, I just, I get up in front of all you guys and I say, hey guys, thanks for coming. I'm really excited about this steak. I can't wait to get my teeth into the steak. It's going to be so rich and juicy and, and man, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. And, um, and you know what? I want to make sure that we all get there safely. So why don't we just, let's just stop for a minute and let's just pray. Okay. And so I sit there and I, and, and I pray and I pray a really eloquent, great prayer, not like you hear up here. Um, and, uh, I pray that, that God would, would, uh, would bless our trip, that he would keep us safe, that he would get us all to Ruth's Chris safely, and then I go out on Pleasant Street, and I go to the light, and I turn left on 37 to head north. And you're all sitting there honking and waving. You're going, wait, 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 wait. Steve, you got to go right. you got to go right. But I've already headed north. I don't want to be on that path. 37 North doesn't go to downtown Indianapolis. And it doesn't matter how much I wish to go to Indianapolis. It doesn't matter how much I pray to end up at Ruth's Chris in downtown Indianapolis. I'm not going to Indianapolis because 37, that road doesn't go there, right? That road goes north. It goes to Elwood. Elwood's a nice place, but there's no Ruth's Chris in Elwood. You don't want to go there. You don't want to take that path, right? The path I want to take, I have a choice to make. I have a direction to choose to take the right path or not. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. So let me ask you, what path are you on today? If the path you're on is not toward God, but it's toward that, you need to change paths. And see, here's the other thing about turning to God. Why you can't just stop doing that and get on with your life. Losing that leaves a big hole. That is a big part of our lives and takes up space. I don't know if you've ever bothered to look inside that. But that's empty. All that does is sit around and take up a bunch of space. There's a great verse in uh, Jeremiah 2.13. And God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah and he says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. When we take on addiction, we abandon the God who created us, who's crazy about us, who wants to be our heavenly father. And we trade him for a broken cistern that can hold no water. We trade him for an empty box that has no value in our life, but it leaves a great big hole. And in the same way, an ex-smoker can become addicted to nicotine gum. That leaves a hole that if we don't fill it up with God, there will eventually be another that. Another empty box. Another broken cistern. 
Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Turn to God and trade the broken cistern for the fountain of living water. Number two, I think the number two thing we need to do to defeat that is we need to share the final ten. What do I mean by that? How many of you are in a small group in here? Wow, that's not very many. You need to get in a small group, guys. I'm telling you. Uh, We talk a lot about authentic relationships in this church. It's one of the core values of our church. I came to Genesis Church five years ago for the music and the teaching, but I stayed because of the relationships that I made with the people in this church. And I suspect many of you are here because you like being in a place where you can be who you are and not feel judged or discriminated against. I mean, if you want to wear shorts and a T-shirt to church, that's great. If you want to wear a suit and a tie to church, that's great. If you want to read your King James Bible or your, your message or your new NIV or whatever you want to read, that's great. As long as you're growing in the Word, you can be here and not be judged. I can be open and authentic with the friends I have here at Genesis Church. My best friends in the world are right here at this church. And I stay here because I know I can be open and authentic with them. I can share anything I want and not be judged. I know I can, but often I don't. And the truth is that most of us, even in our closest friendships, our closest relationships, we only share 90% of what's going on in our life. Even with our closest friends. We hold back on the really bad stuff because we're afraid of what they might think, aren't we? We don't think that they'll understand the last ten, the final ten, because certainly they've never done anything like that. But really, they're just not telling you about that either. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So this verse says, If we don't tell someone else, we may not be healed. We need to tell someone else so we can be healed think about it one of the tenets of aa if any of you are a 12 stepper aa or of the 12 steps is that the first step is to admit you have a problem right and so at the beginning of the meetings what do they do they stand up in front of other people and they say hi my name is steve i'm alcoholic and everybody says hi steve and 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 there's a there's a a culture of acceptance there there's a culture that that yeah you're going to share that with us and we're not going to judge you for that you just, we need to find one person in our life, just one person that we can share the final ten with, that won't judge us, that will accept us, that will listen and understand and pray with us and for us and not judge us because we carry that with us, but help us through it. So I ask you this morning, I just want to take a minute. I ask you this morning, if you have a pen, if you have a piece of paper, write this down. Someone that you can develop this relationship. Maybe you don't have a relationship like that in your life now. Maybe there's no one around that you feel like you can share the final ten with. But somewhere, God is calling you to find someone that you can share the final ten of your life with. So if you have a pen and paper, just take a minute and write that down. Write down a name. I'll tell you, for me, in my life, that person is my wife. She's my closest friend, and as our relationship continued to grow and bloom and get stronger, I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to share everything with her. All my struggles, all my sins, everything that I do, I'm going to struggle. Good and bad, she knows everything good about me and more that's not, <laughs> that's not really real. Um, and so I decided I'm going to share everything bad with her. She knows what I struggle with, and it's opened up our relationship so much more and made it even better than it was. 
Now, maybe you're not married, or maybe you don't feel like you have that kind of relationship with your spouse. Maybe that really interferes with your marriage. Maybe that is too raw, or it affects him and her directly, and you can't do that. But you still need to find someone with whom you can share the final ten. And when you do, there need to be some ground rules. I think there are three critical factors in sharing the final ten. First of all, you need to find accountability. That person has to be willing to ask the tough questions, and you, in that relationship, have to be willing to answer them. If your best friend is a great guy, but he's a sissy, he's probably not the right person. He can't be afraid to ask those questions. And by the way, if you're in this relationship and you're trying to find accountability, when they ask how you're doing, fine is not a valid answer. You ever realize that when, when somebody asks how you're doing, the higher your voice is, the worse you're actually doing, right? How you doing? Fine. Fine. Good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. That's a lie. Fine is not an answer. You need to create a culture of accountability. Second, create a climate of acceptance. You need someone who will listen and not judge. Also, you don't always need someone who has all the answers, right? Guys, we're especially like this. When we get in a situation, somebody sits down and says, hey man, I just want to talk to you about something. This is, I've really been struggling with this lately and uh, you're the person that I really wanted to come to and I just wanted to tell you about this and uh, what, what does our mind do? Automatically we get into gear and we go, okay, well, so if you're deal, dealing with that, here's what you got to do. Here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, here's step four. We're going to walk you through this. We're going to heal it and that's not necessarily what you want. You want a culture of acceptance so that someone will listen. Listen intently and then pray like crazy with you and for you. The third thing is you've got to keep it in the room. Whatever you discuss needs to be confidential. You don't want to be finding out from somebody else that they know what that is in your life. You need to find someone you can trust enough to keep it in the room. So share the final ten. That's number two. Number three is we need to fight for freedom. That is a powerful controlling master. And if we really want to subdue that, we need to understand that it's not going to go away without a fight. So how do you fight? Just like we do with any other spiritual battle. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10, it has kind of the outline uh, for spiritual battle. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That, this, right here, this has a stronghold in your life. Addiction has a stronghold in your life and you need divine power to demolish that stronghold. So when we fight, we will use spiritual weapons and here they are, one at a time. Number one is irrational obedience. This means we don't just obey the letter of God's word, but we go beyond to a level that the world might think is absolutely crazy. If, if that for you is pornography, what irrational obedience means is that you don't just give up pornography, but you go further. You give up seeing R-rated movies that might have sex or nudity in them. You don't just give up your subscription to Playboy, but you stop looking at Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. You don't go to Hooters anymore. You stop going to the beach. You do whatever you have to do to get off that path because that's a path. If that for you is drugs, you don't just give up drugs. But you stop going to parties that might have drugs. You stop hanging out with your friends that might have drugs. Don't even use it as an excuse to evangelize to those people. Because if you have friends that use drugs, they are on a path. And someone needs to reach out to them in the name of Jesus. But it doesn't have to be you. If that's something that you're subject to, if that is your struggle, you don't need to use that as an excuse. 
you need to specialize in irrational obedience, completely over the top. That will not go away if it even sees you on that path. Number two, our second weapon is confidence in God's word. Here's the thing about this. Most of us believe in God's word until we're tested in it. When we get in a tough situation, it's easy to say, well, maybe what I believed all this time is completely wrong. But God's word doesn't change. There's a, I happened upon a great verse this week, and I must have read this 20 times before, but um, it really jumped out at me this week from Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. It says that God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. See, the more I study God's word and dwell in God's word, the more I find it to be true. In fact, I made a decision just a couple years ago, probably three or four years ago, that I was going to believe everything God's word said. The Bible was going to be completely and totally authoritarian to me because I'd found so many parts of it that I picked and chose to be true that eventually it just made sense to make all of it true in my life, right? So just like if you have a friend that's constantly coming to you and say, hey, you know, if you make this choice, that's going to happen. And they're right. Do you have anybody that's like that all the time that, that gives you advice and says, hey, if you do this, then this is going to happen. And if you do that, then that's going to happen. And you get in that situation, you go, how did I get here? And you turn, turn around and, and there's your friend and he says, you know, I told you that was going to happen. Sorry, it happened. And you, you start to believe that friend. You start to understand that friend and you start to think everything that friend says is true. In the same way, the Bible is that way for me. When I saw so much of it come true that I began to trust in his oath, the oath that he's taken, and believe this passage when it says that we could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind, see, that will lie to you. That will try to deceive you until you're not quite sure what to believe. And that's why confidence in God's word is so important. Your final weapon in your fight for freedom is militant prayer militant prayer. How often do we say, I'll pray about that, or I'll pray for you, and we never really do. We walk away, or maybe we say, hey, God, help them with that. You know, and that's our prayer. In fact, if, if we go to another Christ follower for help with that, he or she may say, have you prayed about that? And we'll say, well, of course I've prayed about it. But the truth is, even in some extreme cases, we don't pray like we should about that. We need to acknowledge God's sovereignty and power in prayer. We need to confess our sins and weaknesses in prayer. And we need to pray desperately and continually for healing and for deliverance from that, from addiction. Because when it comes to that, we bear responsibility for it. We carry the blame. But the truth is, we can't be healed on our own. The only way to get rid of that once and for all, to kill it and bury it is to come to the cross and give it to Jesus. To lay it at his feet right where his blood spilled on the ground and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I've tried, I've struggled, I've fought, I've done everything I know now and you've got to take this burden from me. 
We need to fight for freedom, but in the end, we're dependent upon Jesus to grant that freedom. See, the Bible says that Jesus was sent here to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. It claims in Isaiah that if we come to the cross, we will have beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praises instead of despair, and that at the cross, we find righteousness. So let's go there together. Okay, in the next few minutes, let's just trade our, our broken cisterns. Let's trade our empty boxes for the living water that can only be found in Jesus Christ. You go there with me? Let's pray. God, uh, I just thank you so much for the power that's found in your word. I thank you that we know we can come to you and have complete and total confidence that you've got us in your care, that you've got everything under control. In the next few minutes... We just uh, give ourselves over fully and completely to you. We come to the cross and we lay these things at your feet that we struggle with, God. Thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, amen.